Jewish listeners, yeah, it's our new year, so wishing you the same. May, be in, may you be inscribed in the Book of Life. May this year be full of revealed blessings and the wisdom to understand the concealed blessings along the way. Topic for another show. All right. How, now, let's, let's think about what we've been through if we're Jews, even moderately observant, often Jews go to synagogue maybe once a year. If you're going to go once a year, it's probably on Yom Kippur. If you're going to observe one practice, probably going to fast on Yom Kippur. We've repented. We've gone astray. We've sinned. We've just spent this intense period of repentance, right? Have a clean slate. But it, did we do it the right way? Is that what we're supposed to do? Is it about guilt? Is it about pounding ourselves in the chest? Is it about repentance? Is repentance a scam? Let's get into it. A long time coming to have Rabbi Tzvi Freeman on the program. Long been an admirer of his work. A senior editor at Chabad.org, that's C-H-A-B-A-D.org. you got to check it out. It's great whether you're deep in your spiritual path as a Jew or as a non-Jew, or if you're just getting started. Check it out. Rabbi Freeman is the author of many books, including Wisdom to Heal the Earth, Heaven Exposed, Kabbalistic Sci-Fi Fantasy, Men, Women, and Kabbalah, Trembling with Joy, 18 Aphorisms of Happiness from the Baal Shem Tov. Wisdom to Heal the Earth won the Franklin Award for, for uh, Best in its Category. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Freeman is, is uh, erudite across so many different areas. She writes Chabad.org's highly popular Daily Dose of Wisdom. Rabbi, Fer- Rabbi Freeman served for five years as Mashpiach of the West Coast Rabbinical Seminary in Los Angeles, and he currently resides in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Subscribe to his regular updates of writing with the Freeman Files subscription, and definitely check out Daily Dose, Do- Daily Dose and Mushmouth tonight, Daily Dose of Wisdom at Chabad.org. Rabbi Freeman, welcome to Equal Footing. Hi, Doug. Thank you for having me on the show. Good to talk to these wonderful people. Thanks for making the time right after, uh, the right between Yom Tov. Rabbi Freeman, I love that you are able to kind of challenge some of our base assumptions. Uh, often they go without thinking. You know, last week we had Rabbi Simon Jacobson and Amy Schwartz, the wonderful uh, senior editor at Moment Magazine, edits uh, the Ask the Rabbis 
uh, column. And one of the things that came up on that program, we were addressing the the way that Judaism's unique take on the concept of sin is this kind of osmosis that occurs where we live in, let's say, North America or Western Europe, and we're surrounded by other Abrahamic ideas. The Christian faith, which has its own ideas around sin and absolution, and often those ideas can kind of get mixed up with ours. And so I learned a lot last week uh, as we're challenging kind of what is sin in, in, in Jewish theology, and this week it's going to get even more controversial. Because I think as Jews, we're brought up with the idea of the core concept of repentance, of kind of absolution, and and at least at one day a year, Yom Kippur, of saying, these are all all the ways I've sinned, these are all the ways I've done bad things, and trying to, I guess, get God's forgiveness. Of course, we talked last week about the fact that to get another human being's forgiveness is another story. You don't ask God for that. You have to make amends with that other human being. But this week, we're going to even, we're going to challenge that very concept of repentance. You wrote an article on Chabad.org that I thought was fascinating called, Is Repentance a Scam? Or, or Repentance is a Scam, I should say. What did you mean by that, Rabbi? <laughs> um, a scam is, is when you, it's a confidence game. You gain your confidence of somebody by posing as someone that that person trusts. And then you direct them the opposite direction that they were planning to go. So this is what generally happens um, with, with repentance or guilt in general. It does exactly that. Um, a person is uh, comes and says, oh, I have to now repent because it's Yom Kippur. I feel guilty. I did this to this person, not to that person. I, I, I ate this and whatever they did. And they, they start thinking, well, why did I do those things? What were the circumstances? How did it happen? And inevitably the conclusion is I did it because I enjoyed it. Uh, and now I'm feeling lousy and I'm looking for some enjoyment. So what did you accomplish over here? Uh, I don't see anything. From it, and it's not a Jewish thing to do. the the uh, the The word there is a word for repentance, or close to the word for repentance in Hebrew, and that's harata. Harata means you regret, you feel bad about something. Harata, but that's the the word we're talking about when it comes to Yom Kippur or the whole year round. Is not that at all. The word is teshuva. Teshuva means to return. It's a completely different idea. I mean, a little remorse could come in useful there, but that's not what teshuva is about. Teshuva means that you recognize, I'm not at home. I'm not comfortable with myself. I'm not in the place where I should be. That This is not the true me. I have to get back there. I have to be back with my people, with my God, with my own, at peace with my own heart. And I'm not there. How do I get back there? Okay, so one of the things you need to know in order to get back there is where am I right now? Um, And maybe you want to know, well, how did I get here? That could help me know where I am. But you don't want to dwell on that. What you want to be focused on is how do I get back to being who I truly am? And that's what we call teshuva. 
I mean, it's, it's but, right but there. But Rabbi, when, don't, when Moses don't, can, yeah. I apologize for the interruption, but in, in order, I hear what you're saying, which is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase, and I'm probably going to do so very clunkily, and you're probably rolling your, you're probably going to be rolling your eyes. But in a sense, I hear, you know, get past the sin, get past the alhecht, get past the, as quickly as you can, in a sense, the, the, the guilt part of it, and focus on the return and getting back to your higher self. But for many of us, it's almost like, um, speaking for myself at least, it's like a morass. Is like how do you, how do we even identify our higher selves before we do a catalog of all the bad things we've done, of all the people that we've hurt, of all the, of all the, the transgressions that, that, uh, that we've engaged in. And, you know, especially for those that are not, let's say, uh, in shul every week, it's such a powerful exercise to be kind of pounding your chest and saying, you know, I've sinned in this way, I've sinned in that way, I've sinned in this other way. And we rarely do that. So, I mean, in, in, in daily life, isn't there, isn't there a role for just the raw guilt of it, the, 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 um, the, just the confession of it, as you will, in front of God. So, so could you imagine, Doc, say um, uh, AA group or Addicts Anonymous or uh, Pornography Anonymous getting together and every week spending their time saying, I am so bad, I did this, and I did that, and this is how I went about it, and I regret having done this, and I have regret having done that. And is that going to heal them? Is that going to get them anywhere? Is it productive in any way? Or is it counterproductive? So my point is, without that context, the principal context is, where am I going to? What is, who is it that I want to be? And how great that will be. Without that context, all this guilt is just self-destructive. You're, 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 you're hurting yourself. And, and besides, look in our wisdom teachings. See what the, what the Talmud has to say, what the Torah has to say, what the sages have to say throughout the generations, and follow that advice. This advice of just rolling in your dirt and commiserating, ruminating over it, is just the human intuitive guilt, which doesn't get us very far. It's fascinating, we have in our to, it's fascinating to read your your works online and to hear this, uh, it was someday we'll do a show on the anthropology of guilt and love to have you on <laughs> because I think there's a general kind of received wisdom, if you will, uh, that, that as Jews, we're particularly good at guilt. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea that kind of as a people, we are more attuned with guilt and repentance, perhaps the, the, the companion of, of, of guilt, as it were, um, than other, than other peoples or other faiths. And I think you well, mentioned the Talmud. Yeah, tell, well, yeah, I'll get to the Talmudic reference. Tell us why. I know that we may disagree on this point. Tell, tell why is that a misconception? What's well, a fallacy? I, I, I've spoken with, with quite a few psychologists and those who do. Uh, uh, therapy, and, and I've asked them, um, you know, you have Jewish clients and non-Jewish clients. Do you see a greater incidence of guilt or deeper guilt amongst Jews than the rest? 
And they all say, no, absolutely not. Um, it's a human trait to have guilt. You've done something wrong. You think people are not going to like me because of this. I want to make up for it. I don't like myself because of this. And, and, and people deal with that. But I think we have ways of dealing with guilt. You know, uh, we have an Ask the Rabbi serv- service at Chabad.org. It's a lot, a lot of traffic. We have usually at least 15 p- people answering questions. And we get a lot of non-Jews uh, asking us, as rabbis, tell me how I can do repentance. How can I fix up my life? How can I do it? And, and they're coming to us. We ask them, like, you go to church? Yeah, they go to church. Well, how come you're coming to us? It's because you Jews know how to do this. What is the path? And, and so we're asking you. So we have. We have a lot of wisdom of how to deal with these things. And one of them is Yom Kippur. Get it over with, you know. Another is you say your prayers every morning, and you said you're sorry, and it's done with. You put it aside. You said, God forgive me. God forgave you. Now get on with right. life. I want to get, I want to get into the concept of the, of the clean slate. And, and, Rabbi, it's interesting. You turned me on prior to the show to some studies that have been done on actually uh, socio-anthropological studies on the experience of guilt. And it actually, you were right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are various studies that affirm that, uh, that Jews don't feel observant Jewish people, uh, don't feel any greater degree of guilt than many other religions. But I think that's still kind of the, the fabulous myth. I, I think that the the part of the the issue is this idea of the clean slate, and there's this sense, and I mean, there's even a Talmudic reference that God created repentance before He created the physical universe, which is pretty friggin' intense if you think about it. I mean, it really repentance it seems is key, even if we don't feel more guilty, you know, whatever statistically, actuarially. Um, this a concept of repentance at the core of the of the Shabbaton of Yom Kippur is really uh, it's a core theology, and and I think that it's helpful for listeners to to hear you know why is you know how how can we observe repentance without being absorbed as as you as you I think well described with the negativity of the you know and the lack of productivity of I did. I did this, I did that, I did this, I, you know, and, and just feeling bad about ourselves. Well, well again, the, the word is teshuva, and teshuva means to return. So the assumption of teshuva is that you are essentially good. That, that's the, uh, returning to yourself, like, like, like Moses says, which means literally, take yourself back to your heart. That's where we get what teshuva is. Return to your own heart. So, like I said, the very basis of that is that you know you are good. And you mentioned there's a beautiful, what the, what the rabbis say, that before the world was created, God created Teshuvah. Before doesn't mean in time. It's metaphorical. Before means that in order that there should uh, be a world. Pardon the interruption, so Rabbi. So I get it wrong. It's, so the Talmudic yeah. reference is before God created the physical universe, there's the creation of, of teshuva, not the creation of repentance. I think I, maybe I got it wrong. That's a key difference. It's a very key difference. It means that, that this is something you have inside yourself that is outside of this world. It's beyond this world. It's something totally miraculous. It's your capacity 
to make yourself into a new person. So when God created the world, he made nothing into something. But when you do teshuva, you make a something into a nothing, into a something in a single moment. It's even greater than created, creation of heaven and earth. That's what teshuva means, self-transformation. All the, all the major rabbis who talk about teshuva describe this, that a person who has done teshuva, I don't want to use that word repentance, and I don't have another word here, so we'll just use teshuva. A person who right. has done teshuva says, I am not the person who did those things. I am now another person. Yeah. And part of what we struggle with, I know we talked about, we talked about this a little bit in some of our, in our pregame discussion, but we struggle with the translations because these words have so many different kind of facets and angles to them. And it's a shame that we, you know, we translate teshuva as repentance because it's, it's different. It's returning, uh, as you said. We're here with Rabbi Steve Freeman, great author, educator, senior editor of Chabad.org. The question on the table, apropos, of our experience just over the last day, whatever, 36 hours, depending on where you are in the world of Yom Kippur, is, is repentance a scam? Yes, you heard me correctly. Is repentance a scam? Keep listening. Give us your opinions, your questions. Here's the number to call, 718-303-9090. We are live on the air. You can participate, mention your name or not, if you're going to be anonymous, 718-303-9090. Please be patient if you call. Uh, I'm at a studio. I'm in France at the moment, so we have our radio engineer there solo, and sometimes it'll take a little bit of time to get to the phone. You can also text a comment or question to 917 917- Four two eight four zero six two. Don't call that number. That's for texting or WhatsApping. A comment or question for Rabbi Tzvi Freeman. Nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. We'll be right back. <laughs> Footing is brought to you this year and last in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Are you a watch dealer, distributor, watch collector? Get cash for your inventory or your collection, and you can get it fast. Two days maximum, usually one. Release the liquidity from your inventory. Mechanical Art Capital offers very easy buyback programs for your inventory, no lending, very easy program to use. You can go to mechanicalartcapital.com or you can download the app on your Android or, or iOS device by putting in those three words with spaces, Mechanical Art Capital. You can also call and do it over the phone. The number to call is 833 833- Two zero nine zero nine seven two. That's eight three three two zero nine zero nine seven two to get quick cash for your inventory of watches, whether you're a collector or a dealer. Mechanical art capital. I've been caught. 
All right, we're back with Rabbi C. Freeman. We're talking about the concept of repentance and why we may do it a little bit wrong. Rabbi, one of the beautiful and also mysterious and troublesome concepts within our Jewish faith is this idea of a clean slate, that once a year we go to shul, we daven, we pray, we confess all of our sins in front of God, and then we start over. And this is reinforced theologically in a variety of ways. There are Maimonides quotes, for example, that you can live a life full of sin, and you repent right before death. True, complete repentance in front of God, and you're kind of good to go. No pun intended. This is a very appealing concept to many of us, this idea of a clean slate, of a fresh start. And it seems to be that the gasoline that drives that idea is this complete abject repentance and pounding ourselves with guilt. So what's wrong with the story? I love it. I want a clean slate. Are you are you arguing otherwise? I wish it were so easy. <laughs> I wish it were so easy. Um, look, the... Um, the world is, is made in such a way we're, we're human, we're going to make mistakes, and he's the one who made us. And even from the very beginning, he put us in this garden, and he told us, you can eat from all these trees, but this tree don't eat from. And uh, so I, he knew our nature. Like the first thing Adam is going to say is, Eve, there's a tree over here that we're not supposed to eat from. Like, I wonder what it tastes like. <laughs> That's our nature. It, the world was set up this way that we are going to sin. It's not going to be our free choice. We're not forced into it. But our nature is to do that, to make mistakes, or to chase after the things that we know are forbidden. And that's part of the plan. So, therefore, Teshuva had to be created before. If, there were, if we never messed up, if we never failed, we would never have this experience of doing Teshuva, which we translated, returning to yourself. Which coming back to your home. And if we would never have that experience of Teshuvah returning to ourselves, we would never discover ourselves. We would never know who we truly are. That, that's, that's the Jewish idea. But we, so we go through a life, we make mistakes, we do a lot of things. And then, in order to repair that, the first thing is, even before repairing it, the first thing is to say, this is not me. I have to discover who I am and go back to that. Then you can go about fixing everything else. You, you, in, in our conversations before the show, Rabbi, uh, you gave some very powerful um, instruction around the idea of uh, the kind of, I'm, I'm looking for the words here, how God interacts with us around repentance and renewal. And part of what I took away with from that, and I and I want you to correct me because I think a lot of listeners probably struggle with this idea, is how much does Hashem, how much does God care about the process versus the outcome? How much does God care if I fast on Yom Kippur? If I did al with the with the, which is this ritual recognition of sin that we do in Yom Kippur as Jews, number of times over the course of the 24 hours we pound our chest, etc. And how much does, does God care, so to speak, that 
that uh, that we did that in a in a genuine uh, fashion uh, versus uh, the outcome, meaning you know to the fact what we're doing in the material world around trying to make amends against whom we transgressed, et cetera, et cetera. Because we seem to be so process focused on young people, are it's very process focused. I, I think that's why we review those. because I think it'd be interesting for listeners. Yeah, I found it somewhat controversial. I don't want to say controversial. I found it enlightening and different, your, your instruction in this regard. That's exactly why we read on Yom Kippur, um, Isaiah the prophet, and uh, Jonah, those stories to tell us. Isaiah is saying to the people, this you call repentance. Well, let, me, let me change that word, repentance. I have a better word for it, recovery. The Shuvah better, better, not perfectly, but better translated as recovery. So let's replace repentance with recovery. This is not recovery, he says. The fact that you fasted and that you put on sackcloth and ashes on your head and banged your chest, that's not Teshuvah. That's not your recovery. This is not a fast day. This is not a, 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 what God is wanting from you, what he wants. He says, instead of tearing your clothes, tear your heart. Rip into your heart. And go back there. That's what he's looking for. And the same when, when Jonah the prophet comes to the city of Nineveh and he tells them that God is upset with them and they better repent, recover. So, and then it says that the king declared a fast to Jonah's uh, uh, surprise. He was shocked. They're listening to me. But the king declared a, a, a fast day. And everybody had to return whatever that they had stolen and give back and so on. The people fasted for days, three days. Okay. And then it says, and God saw that they had returned that which they had stolen. It doesn't say God saw their sackcloth and ashes or their fasting or their crying. No. He saw that they had, those who had stolen had given back. Whatever they'd done wrong, they fixed that. Ah, oh, they're forgiven. So we read so those two stories to say that's what the so outcome is. Right. So it's, it's it's outcome that matters. It's not it's it's not the process, so to speak, as much as 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 the outcome, as the as the result of the process of teshuva. Right. Okay. I think you could put it that way. You know, we have a an issue where where this becomes very. Um, legalistic, uh, very practical. Um, in a court case, a Jewish court, uh, you can't accept testimony from people who are known to be bad people. They do bad things. Um, people who, one of the examples is that besides somebody who steals, kills, whatever, but somebody who uh, it makes their living off gambling. Um, you can't you can't accept testimony for them. So what if somebody comes and says, "Well, I used to do that, but I don't anymore." Okay, so we look. Do you have evidence that you don't anymore? Uh, for example, if you were a gambler, have you avoided going into any of those places and gotten rid of your dice and your cards and everything, and never gone back to that at all, even just for fun? That would be evidence. Uh, if you were a person who stole, did you did you give back to people whatever you could? 
Um, if, if you cheated people, were you in a situation where you could have cheated somebody and you didn't do it? Um, those, those sort of situations we look for. We don't look for, if somebody comes and says, well, I fasted 100 fasts, that's useless. That doesn't help you in the slightest. But I, I rolled in an anthill and buried myself in the snow and all the other things that people used to do. That doesn't help you either. <laughs> we have to see, like you said, the outcome. Did you change? Are you a different person? That's what we're looking at. Yeah, that's a little that's a little sobering for those of us that were really suffering through the fast <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> that at the end of the day, what matters is uh, is what are we doing next? Um, not but it's as not much. Yom Kippur. The fasting is an outcome. It's part of. Let me explain with this. There's two different things. There's your teshuva, your return, your recovery. And then there's after that cleaning up your mess, which is called kapara. Kapara means cleansing. Yom HaKippurim is a day of cleansing. So the fast is the cleansing. The, the, you have to provide the teshuva, and then the day is going to provide the cleansing. What is the teshuva, the recovery? That is this sense that you come to with inside yourself. It's, well, I really want to be a good guy. I, that's who I really am, and that's who I really want to be. Once you, Rabbi, that, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna need to take our we're gonna need to take our second break. When we come back, though, I'd really like yeah. you to talk about this difference between the forgiveness and kapora and cleansing, because this is a key theological distinction and and real difference between. And the different uh, Abrahamic faiths, and it's it's very unique to Judaism. It's something that uh, we spoke about earlier. Uh, that uh, I've i very personally, I'll open up a little bit uh, in the next segment. I've uh, really gone through as well in my own life, and it is uh, additive to, different from, and I would argue more difficult than other Abrahamic strains as it relates to sin and absolution, this kapora, this cleansing. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. We're talking to Rabbi T. Freeman in the spirit of Yom Kippur, in the spirit of Teshuva. The question on the table, somewhat piquantly, is, is repentance a scam? We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live. 
or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm here with the great Rabbi Steve Freeman. In this new year, we're talking about the role of repentance. We promised before the break we would talk about Kippurah, the, the idea of the cleansing. And Rabbi, I promised to be uh, open. It's painful for me to talk about. But um, almost exactly a year ago today, a little bit more than a year ago today, right at this time of year, I went through personally, as some listeners know, a process, an agonizing process of really, in a certain sense, needing to stand before the metaphysical and the legal court and take the steps that were, that the, the Rabbeinu Yonah of Garona it, it wrote in the Gates of Repentance, kind of the various um, steps that a sinner needs to take in repenting. The regretting and acknowledging a sin forsaking the sin, expressing worry about the consequences of the sin, speaking with humility about the sin, and then acting in a way opposite of the sin, understanding the magnitude of the sin, refraining from other sins related, praying for atonement, etc. I mean, it was an agonizing process. We've talked about it in previous shows. And it was clean. It was extremely difficult, but it was cleansing as heck. I mean, it was probably the most um, naked I have felt in my life in front of Hashem, just completely bare and with no defenses. And that process, I mean, it was, while incredibly painful, um, like I said, was very, very cleansing. And to me, I have that so wrapped up in my head as related to guilt. To me, I feel like I couldn't have gone that, through that cleansing had I not felt enormous guilt and expressed it in a way that I felt comfortable, that comfortable is the wrong word, and expressed it in an authentic way, neither exaggerating, neither going too far, but being very, you know, very frank and honest with myself in, in, in front of God. What is it that... What is it that's, again, I asked the question I asked in the last time, what is it that's wrong with that? What, how is that not kapora? How is that not cleansing? And if it isn't, help me understand what I needed to do better in that process or what listeners need to do better to be really cleansed of their guilt, of their sin. So, so Dove, what you're talking about is a cleansing within the context of recovery of teshuva. You've got a goal where you want to be and you, you've, you've already determined that's my journey. That's where I'm going to. And now you feel, okay, but I've got all this baggage. I've got to change this. I've got to put this behind me. I've got to cleanse myself of this. And so you went through that process. What I was criticizing when I said this type of guilt, that scam guilt, repentance, scam repentance, is when a person starts off with that. When they begin with, I was bad, I did this, and this, and they don't know where they're going. They're just saying, I am bad. Well, that's not recovery. That's just identifying yourself as a bad person. You're not going anywhere. 
When people talk about, oh, it's Jim Kipper, I have to make a list of all the things I did wrong. That's not healing anything. They should be saying, it's Jim Kipper. I have an opportunity to return to my true self, to transform myself, to become a completely different person in the new year. Part of that is I have to throw away all this junk. I'm going to have to go through that cleansing. And part of the cleansing is I don't eat for a whole day. That's very cleansing as well. So, but it has to be within that context. Only then does it make sense. So, Teshuva comes first. Then comes Kapara. First, the return. Just turn yourself around. And now, after you've turned yourself around, you can start cleansing. But don't try to cleanse yourself before you turned around. Talk to us more about Kapara, because it is theologically distinct from the absolution that we see in, in, in Christian strains of, of uh, Abrahamic belief. So, so I think the, the, the misconception here is that people think that until I've done all these things and cleaned up, cleansed myself, God doesn't like me. He's not going to forgive me until I go through all this. And that becomes very problematic because there's certain things that uh, take the whole life to cleanse, and sometimes we just don't have any way to do it at all. So, But this is a complete misconception. One of the best quotes, I have to tell tell it as a story, most quoted whenever anybody's talking about teshuva, this recovery, they always quote from the Talmud in Kedushin. The Babylonian Talmud. That's what we learn in Yeshiva. We spend time learning the Talmud. So Kiddushin, uh, Olio 49, Olio 2. Okay. Over there, well, I'll tell it as a story. So you've got this gangster who's been committing every crime, uh, stealing, murder, rape, all of them, all of his life. And now he decides he's going to get married. But he wants a Jewish marriage. Right? So he's got his cronies all around him, and he hired a rabbi who brought with him two good witnesses, and he's under the chuppah, and he gives the girl the ring. He puts the ring on the collar's finger, and as he's putting it, he says, you know, you're supposed to say, you are Hari Mukadesh, you are now married to me with this ring. Instead, he says, you are now married to me with this ring on condition, on the understanding that I and a really good Jew. The, the, the term there is a tzaddik gomor. A tzaddik gomor means somebody who never sinned. So he might as well be saying, on the understanding that I have never sinned in my entire life. And he puts the ring on his finger, and then he smashes the glass, and everybody, mazel tov, mazel tov. So now these, these two witnesses are watching this, and they're like flummoxed. Like, oh, so is he married or what? And what happened now? So they have to ask the rabbi. They ask the rabbi, so what happened? And he says, he might be. Well, how could that be? He made a condition. It was on, on the understanding of and And everybody knows that he's a really bad guy. Yeah, the rabbi says. But maybe at that moment, he felt in his heart, I would really like to be a good guy. I would... I, I don't want to be this person. I want to be a different person. Maybe he felt that. We don't know. And if he did, then she's married. Which means practically, and this is the halakha that he, 
It's in the, the Code of Jewish Law brings this very clearly. If uh, this woman would, for example, want to marry another man, she would need to first get a divorce from this guy because maybe they are married. So from this we learn that it happens in an instant. As soon as you have said, I don't want to be who I am, I want to be who I really am, immediately it's as though you have never done anything wrong in your whole life. God has completely forgiven you. You're a good person. The only thing is, God says, but by the way, there's this mess you've made. You've hurt other people. You've hurt yourself. You've, you've destroyed worlds over you. Fix them up, please. You're not, up, you're not up to hook You're not up you to hook yet. You know how to it up. Work. You know how to fix it up. You've still got work to do. Yeah. Okay, so that's the kapara that comes after. But as your status right now, you're good. You, you made this arrangement. I've got a debt to pay. Okay, I'll pay up the debt. And God trusts you. He trusts you more than any human being will trust you. That's for sure. He, he, no matter how many times you do this, he's going to trust you every time. Because he's God. He's infinite. He's got all the time in the world, quite literally. So okay, he'll get. he's hoping you're going to pay back. He's trusting that you're going to pay back. That's 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 the that's the order of how things and that and that's a difference I think and that's a difference I think theologically because there's this concept you're not up the hook yet yes you've got a clean slate but that's not to be confused with that you don't have to clean up the mess you don't have to go through the kapara and the and the the cleansing which one of the things that's so beautiful and and difficult about it is that it really depends on our own agency. You know, in, in, in other faiths, you have a confessional, and then you're done. But in, 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 in the Jewish, uh, in Jewish theology, you, you have that confessional, the power of the confessional, the power of that sense of absolution, but then you've got a lot of work to do. You've got to continue to clean up the mess, like you said. Well, I think the word that you use, the very important word for us, is that sense of agency. Yes, I can do this. It's up to me. In, in other words, it, there are other religions where the whole point is to believe in God. But here, for us Jews, it's a two-way street. God believes in us, and he's relying on us and trusting us. He's given this, us this world, and he, he put us in the garden, and he said, you take care of it. Don't mess it up, because if you mess it up, you're the one who's going to have to come and fix it afterwards. And that goes as well, not just with your garden, but with your own self. If you can mess it up, you can fix it up. You can do that. Oh, I've got to tell you the story. Can I tell a story now? This, is that Go ahead. Now we'll, do our, we'll do our last ad break a touch late. Shoot. Okay. Okay, so this is the story of... of a, of a Jew who was a young man. He was living a, a, a not a very moral life. And a rabbi, this was Rabbi Shnezalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya, who, uh, one of the early rebbers of the Kassidus. So he, uh, he found this, this man at a Kachmu, a bar, uh, with his friends. And the guy was just making fun of him, of the rabbi, and joking with him, and so on. And finally, this, this, uh, gambling man says, says to the rabbi, Rabbi, give me a blessing. The rabbi looks at him and says, I give you a blessing that you'll do tshuva before you die. Or you won't, do, you won't die until you do tshuva. <laughs> he laughs. 
Okay, so he goes off, he leaves, he does everything in the book, he, he cheats, he steals, he kills, he rapes, he, whatever, he puts garbage in his recycling, he does everything wrong, okay, that he can. And he makes a lot of money doing it, and has a big family, lives in a mansion, and then he's old. He's old, and he's lying in bed, and he's very sick. And he's sick for days, for weeks, for months. And the doctors are looking at him. He can't see. He should have died already. And his children are standing around. Okay, old man, kick the bucket. We're waiting for the inheritance. You know? <laughs> so nothing's happening. Then he remembers. Oh, I get it. It's that blessing from that rabbi. I didn't do teshuva. I didn't do teshuva. And he thinks about it, and he says, there's no way. <laughs> I can't do Tshuva. That's impossible. That's ridiculous. No, I am what I've done. So he calls in his family, and he says, listen, guys, uh, you're waiting, but you'll be waiting forever because you know who I am and what I've done. And uh, for me to do Tshuva, it's way too far away. There's just no way I possibly could do such a thing. So forget it. And he died. <laughs> so that is the teshuva. He didn't get a chance to clean up his mess, but he did the teshuva. Right. So it's two parts, it really. Was, it's the it's the returning and it's the kapara. It's it's the it's the teshuva and the cleansing. They're, they're they're different aspects of of the fruit of repentance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the beauty of it is God loves us so much that he'll take care of a lot of the cleansing for you. As long as you start it, you start doing your thing. He has a Yom Kippur for you because he wants you to be clean. But the Teshuvah, he can't do that for you. That's entirely, that's the one thing that's entirely up to you, the one thing in your life. Even maybe the sins were complete, not completely your choice. But to turn yourself around, the recovery, you know, the deepest people you'll find on the planet are people in recovery. They've discovered what it means to be a human being. Rabbi, we're going to take our last break here. We're going to get to a a caller on the line and and some good uh, comments and questions that have come in, some tough ones. We'll be right back with Rabbi Steve Freeman. The question on the table apropos of Yom Kippur, is repentance a scam. We've got a couple of listeners written in that think it is. We'll be right back. Okay, one of the things we do on Equal Footing is try to address the most difficult things to talk about. Healing, improvement, discovery comes through addressing our fears, that which we're embarrassed about. You know, one of those things is erectile dysfunction. It is not something to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It affects the physical and mental well-being of couples. There are solutions out there. It affects almost two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. Manhattan Medical knows how it feels. They offer a new and effective treatment that's been around in Europe for a long time, in Canada over the years, and recently introduced to the United States. It's called Gainswave Therapy. It's non-invasive. 
It has no side effects. There's no surgery. And it has great results for the vast majority of patients. Importantly, it's different from those expensive blue pills. Many people cannot take other forms of treatment for ED because of comorbidities or other issues. Manhattan Medical offers the Gainsway therapy for durable results. Call. Manhattan Medical's number is 888-332-8739. That's 888-ED-CURE-9. Again, 888-332-8739. Inquire. It's not just for people in Manhattan or in the New York area. You can get a teleconsult from anywhere in the United States. And if you say that you heard about Manhattan Medical's ED treatment and cure program on the Equal Footing radio show, you get a free consultation. That's a $250 value. So call 888-ED-CURE-9 or 888-332-8739. Reach out. Get help. Manhattan Medical's ED treatment and cure program. I've been caught. We're back on talking about repentance. We've had a couple of listeners that have written in, Rabbi Freeman, agreeing with the, the precept that repentance is a scam, but for a little bit of a different reason. And that's referring to the idea that the most important sins, those where we transgressed against other human beings, not against God, and I say most important because God can forgive us. Maybe important is the wrong word. Most intractable. How about that? Jewish theology teaches us, we discussed last week, that we can be forgiven on Yom Kippur for transgressions against God, maybe not keeping Shabbat or not eating kashrut, etc. But we cannot actually be forgiven for the sin against another person, Lashon Hara, speaking badly, or the sins against the public or whatever, unless we've made amends with the person against whom we've transgressed and received forgiveness. So in a certain sense, a couple of listeners have noted that, yes, it's a scam, because what does it get you? You have to actually make amends with the person. Is this what you meant by repentance is a scam, Rabbi? No, no, it's not what I meant, but they do have a good point. Um, God can't forgive you. You need God to forgive you as well. But but if you come to, to God and say, please forgive me for having ripped this guy off, he's going to say, well, could you first go talk to the guy and, and apologize? And that's an essential part of it. Um, so we have to go through that as well. But that's what we, we have a custom before Yom Kippur. Well, it's not just a custom. It's, it's there in the code of Jewish law that if there's somebody that, that you've done something to, or even if you didn't, but they're holding a grudge against you for something, you have to, before you get to go and do whatever you can to make up for that. You can't, you're not supposed to come to Yom Kippur before you've done that. That's an essential part in all those things that are between you and somebody else. In a sense, Rabbi, it, it, it comports because then really what matters is that action, that coming together with that other person, that trying to make amends, the cleaning up your mess. I kind of take the listener's point in a certain sense. We have a caller who's been patiently waiting. Let's, let's get to the caller. Uh, are you there? If caller on line one. 
Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. Hello. Can you hear me? We can. Okay. The title of the show is Apropos, especially for you, because you are what the title is. You have, you know, it is a fraud. You did exactly what you wanted to do in your situation. I don't think you regretted a thing when you did it. Okay? No, no, the sinner never regrets what they're doing. Okay? Hitler never regretted it. Nuremberg, when they had the trials, they didn't regret it, what they did to sin. Nobody, the major, if you look at the history of all of the, the worst, none of them repented. None of them uh, thought they were sinning at all. Uh, that happens in this country, too, with some of our leaders. But the overall sin is basically, you know, we're doing this for certain situations. In the end, you may apologize, or someone if they get caught, as they did. The Germans, if you remember the Nuremberg Church, no one apologized on the, when they sat there. Nobody. So sin is, as you said, it's, the, it's a fraud. You're right. I agree with you. But I think the question on the table is, is whether repentance is a scam, not, not the sin itself. So Repentance is a scam. You're right. It is a scam because they don't repent. They don't say, I'm sorry. They don't say anything. Think, None of them in I history think, have. I think, I think to, to zero in on the, on the question, it's if you do repent, let's say you do actually genuinely repent, uh, like suspend disbelief and, and uh, pretend that someone in one of your examples, whether it be me or someone else, and God, God forbid, that'd be, <laughs> my actions in life be compared to that, but I, I'm trying to stay... I'm not comparing you to Hitler or anything. <laughs> I know, you know, I know, I know. But I'm saying when you did, your, when you did it, you, didn't, you, you knew exactly what you were doing, and there was no repentance in your mind to come. But but I think what the question is, and I'm trying to be very respectful of the of the question on the table, is if you genuinely repent, if you do something wrong, we all do things that are wrong, whether they're intentional or unintentional. On Yom Kippur, one of the things we do, and I'll to say whether it's intentional or unintentional, you're, you're acknowledging the sin. And then you repent, meaning you acknowledge it and you forsake it. And you did. Is that process a scam? Do you, do, you, do you think the process of a genuine repentance is a scam? Yeah, because if you wouldn't have done it to be in the first place, then you do it, you succeed at it, then you repent of it. Well, I mean, come on, you can't take that serious. You think all of them, in all of the incidents I've mentioned, none of them repented. None of them. Nobody. So, so I think our, your, your title is absolutely correct. It's all a scam. You're right. So, Rabbi, one of the things that I appreciate, I appreciate the, the comment. One of the things that, that, that's brought up in this, in this area, and I think you've touched on it in your work as, as well, is the difference between the habitual sinner and the non-habitual sinner. And I think that one of the things that brings up Colleen's point is, you know, when, when does... When does it matter? Like, what if you, if you, if you say you're, if you truly repent and then you do the same thing again, does it matter? It... Well, there's a, it is important. First of all, I'd like to say that I know people in my life who were addicts, people who were criminal. Um, people did some really bad things and I saw them turn around. There were very few of them, but I, I, but they're people, they're, they're heroes. They're heroes, first of all, because they 
they made that move. But you could say, well, you know, they hit rock bottom, and so they had to do it. Yeah, but the hero heroism the heroism wasn't so much just that moment of turning around and recognizing it, but that they managed for years to stay clean. And even if afterwards they went back to their old habits, but I still admire them for that period of time in their life when they did stay clean because they're fighting against every hormone in their body and all the neural pathways that they created. They're fighting against themselves for that time. And at that time, they were really masters of themselves. So even if a person goes back to his old ways later, but that time that he was not sinning, not listening to that, that impulse inside, is something we have to admire. Wow. That's, that's very raw. Um, I think, you know, on this program before we've, we've addressed addiction and kind of, if you will, habitual sinning or, or, um, or the draw, uh, to, um, to re-indict ourselves, if you will. And it's, um, it's, 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 it's very beautiful to even, even acknowledge the victory of temporal, uh, the temporal victory, uh, over sin. Um, I, I, it's the only way, it's the only path to recovery. A person has to value that, and the people or his friends or her friends have to value that as well. And I, I personally dealt with a few cases this way. I saw the futility of chastising people for when they fall back. And the only way is to each time tell them, okay, so you messed up. Okay, forget it. Forget that that happened. Just let's go on. Let's go on and celebrate that you went through a whole day that you were clean, that you didn't do this. And it's talking about all sorts of different, very ugly things in people, people's lives. And in one of these cases, a person who I just didn't know what to do with him, I kept on going back to over and over again, but I kept on encouraging him. Today was good. You had 24 hours. That was good. That's fantastic. And he ended up. It was a beautiful marriage, beautiful family, very responsible member of his community, and totally out of all of those things today. Every day that he goes through through that way is is a miracle. It's a, it's That's a beautiful. It's a beautiful note to to, to end on, uh, Rabbi. I appreciate your time tonight. I think the, obviously the title of the show is Peekant, right? And it, you know it's repentance, a scam. But I think the the, the message here is it's really about action. It's about, and whether it's a very short-term victory or, God willing, a long-term victory, but it's about the making amends. It's about the kapara. It's about the, the cleaning up the, the mess. And uh, in addition to, of course, the process of repentance, and above all, as you said, the focus on the return and to to our higher selves. I appreciate our caller, folks that wrote in questions. Sorry, I didn't get to all the comments and questions, but Rabbi C. Freeman, we'd love to have you on again. Shana Tova, thank you for your words. Shana Tova, thank you. Yeah.
get 